Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. It is Wednesday, the 21st of June, 2023. We're going to talk about the fact that it is the summer solstice. We're going to talk about the light of the world. We're going to talk about what today is in your life and mine. But we're going to lead off by getting ourselves into the Word of God, that the Word of God might get into us, that we might be more fully equipped to walk our faith out into the world that God so loves and to do so in ways that honor Jesus. So thank you so much for being here today. Um, We are uh, here at Faith Radio spending time in this month of June considering forgiveness and the forgiveness of God. And we're coming up on Forgiveness Day um, or or a day of forgiveness. We're going to dedicate an entire day just to talking about and reflecting on and asking for God's forgiveness. And if you're in need of forgiveness and you know you need it and you'd like Um, to walk with us in a season of forgiveness, I want you to text the word forgive, just the word forgive to 877-933-2484. And we'll walk with you um, in in forgiveness um, over the coming days and weeks. So again, you just text the word forgive to 877-933-2484. Our Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from the book of Numbers, Mm-hmm. Numbers. When's the last time you spent any time in the book of Numbers? Well, this is going to be fun because we're going to talk about how we can count on God to be God uh, and counting on God in in ways that the writer of the book of Numbers accounts for here. So this is a this is these are verses about counting on God to be God. Numbers chapter twenty three verse nineteen. God is not a man, so he does not lie. God is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has God ever spoken and then failed to act? Has God ever promised and not carried it through? The The writer here is saying, like, look, you can count on God to be God. This is a verse about the character and the ways of God. You can count on God to be God. You can count on God to be true. And faithful, you can count on God to be himself. You can count on God to never fail to be who he is or to do what he has promised to do. You can count on God. That is what this verse in Numbers twenty three nineteen is saying. So it says right here in the book of Numbers, you can count on God to be God. I mean, that is something you can put in your pocket today. The book of Numbers assures you that you can count on God to be God. So what does it mean to count on God today? I'm counting on God to be great. I'm counting on God to be good. I'm counting on God to be present and working out his will in real time. I am counting on God to be sovereign, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. I'm counting on God to be merciful, gracious, and true. I'm I'm counting on God to be awake and alert and attentive, responsive, active. 
I'm counting on God to speak through that which he has already spoken. I'm counting on God to be holy and just and perfect in wisdom. I'm, I'm counting on God to provide, protect, defend, supply, guide, correct, discipline. I'm counting on God to be God today in the same way that God was God yesterday and in the same way that God's going to be God tomorrow. As my friend Mel Mill sells, says, I'm, I'm counting on God to be Godden. So how are you counting on God today? I mean, walking through this verse, we see that the writer of Numbers is counting on God to be truthful. He says, God does not lie. Counting on God to be immutable, God does not change his mind. Counting on God to be present and active, he speaks and he acts, he is faithful, he keeps the promises that he made, and he carries out his word. So how are you counting on God to be God today? We're going to spend a little time talking with our friend Daryl Crouch about um, how much drama there is in our lives and in our households, and maybe um, it's time to actually be boring. Mm-hmm. Would you like some boredom in your life, a restoration of boredom? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Our wonderfully boring, predictable friend, Daryl Crouch, is back. Good morning. Well, good morning. That's a wonderful introduction. Simple, predictable. That's right. Yeah. Let's talk about a revival of the boring home. Uh, Maybe we need a little less drama, not more drama. Take us into your latest post on your Substack. And again, friends can find it. Um, on Substack, uh, we're talking with Daryl Crouch. What 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 are you advocating here? Yeah, well, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, families that get a lot of press, uh, and usually those are high drama families, Kardashians. I was re- recently reading about King Henry the Eighth. Certainly, there's a Broadway musical after his life. Uh, he's most famous for his six marriages, and if you just read through a, a rough, you know. Um, the high points of his life, um, it's it's just chock full of dr- drama. And um, I say in the article, you know, ro- uh, romance, sex, power, violence, along with a scattered array of offspring left in the wake. It it um, it's it's a very interesting read. It's a very um, dramatic and entertaining story. If if that's your version of entertainment, certainly Broadway has done really well with it. And um and so, but but I think for for many of us, um, for all of us really, and it's a tragic story of King Henry VIII. Uh, it's a tragic story of many of the families we see their lives on television, you know, played out in front of us. Um, but behind cameras, uh, many of us live with far too much drama as well. You know, there's uh, abuse and neglect and uh, hurried. Um, I was sharing with some people the last few days. We are we are busy and we are burdened. So mm. everyone we encounter uh, seems to be dealing with another version of trauma or abuse. And certainly those words um, may be misused and overused at times. And that's a different conversation. But but um, many of us uh, are just overwhelmed. But one of the things that we know, Carmen, is that a lot of folks did not we're not reared in a home that was stable. 
And so they are simply repeating what they know. And uh, so I'm advocating that maybe young families today uh, think about um, less drama and uh, more predictability that creates security for their families and the security for their children. And uh, this predictability, um, I'm kind of you know using a little hyperbole. I don't think we should be completely boring. There should be some fun in the home and some interest and all those things. But but that um, but that kids come home every night and they they know what's going to they they know what family's going to be tonight. And um, too many of the kids that my daughter uh, goes to church with, uh, hangs around at school, um, their their families are. Uh, anything but boring, uh, anything but drama free. And uh, the results are uh, just uh, overwhelmingly devastating. And so I think sometimes uh, parents feel pressure to make up for whatever um, deficiencies they feel. And so uh, rather than just, you know, taking it, you know, pacing themselves, uh, we again are, are hurried we are busy, we are burdened. And so that's what the article's about, just really calling us back to, um, to maybe some stability that comes through faithful service and love for one another. And, and I described my, my upbringing a little bit and um, how that created some security for me and set me up for, I think, success. You got me thinking about um, the ways in which families and family life um, is portrayed in what we would think of as family dramas and maybe most recently like the family drama of let's say succession versus Mm. the family dramas of little house on the prairie or the waltons or father knows best the andy griffith show um even like the wonder years or seventh heaven i mean if you're gonna Mm. pace forward a little bit Mm -hmm. but the ways in which family life was portrayed and then is portrayed and the expectation of what a family looks like and how they behave toward one another and the kinds of drama and trauma that characterize the individual lives um, and relationships and then the drama and trauma within the family system. Like even, even the ways in which that is portrayed, um, in in film and and in in TV series, um, I think that does influence like the expectations that we have of how much drama there should be in our own lives. And so, when we look at the the rhythm of being a family, being a good spouse, being a faithful mom and dad, and being faithful in community with one another, and having the concerns of the home be centered on the concerns um, of our family. Like, it's just a different way than the world is leading us to believe things, like, as if there should be drama every day. I mean, what you're saying is, and I, and you're right, there, there really shouldn't be drama every day. Like, yeah, the drama yeah. that's unfolding um, is is way bigger than us, and we are not the central characters in um, in it. Yeah, well, we 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 tend to want to be. Um, social media has created again a generation of of people that feel like we have to. I mean, on Instagram and maybe Facebook, I, I don't know all the apps exactly the the language, but 
you know, you create a story. You know, you know, we we have to create a story every day. We we have to have something of note. And so there is this sense that if if I don't have a story, if I'm not creating something worth consuming, you know, from uh, for, for for strangers to consume, then then I must not be doing it right. And and we um we minimize the value of simplicity, of sitting on the couch and reading a book to our to our six year old uh, to um playing in the yard, you know, uh, you know, having our kids just play in the yard for the afternoon and, and pick, pick leaves and, you know, um, do things that play in the Creek and things that uh, kids, um, you know, can do and, and really enjoy. And, uh, but we, we have this tendency to, to create, um, uh, more drama than, than necessary because we're we're not sure that there's significance in simply being a mom and a dad who cook supper and sit down to eat supper with our kids every night and and make sure their homework's done before a reasonable bedtime. Um, that's th- those rhythms and the simplicity of that are not what's elevated. Uh, again, like you mentioned, on television or or certainly in social media. And so I think we've been catechized, we've been discipled. Um, by outside forces that really don't have our family's best interest in mind or the best interest of our own soul. And I think mm-hmm. that's really where the it's that's the heart of the matter, obviously. And that uh, what 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 is it that where we where do we find our significance? Where is our identity? And if we're searching for it as parents and as grandparents, if we're not sure who we are in Christ, then certainly our kids will feel the hurriedness, will feel the despair, um, will feel the desperate grab for attention, um, again, from strangers and from others that would maybe uh, like our post or celebrate, you know, our our victories or, or whatever it is. And so I think um, I, I want to give parents and families, you know, permission uh, to be normal, you know, to be to be faithful, to be uh, where we're simple obedience, where we have margin in our lives to take a meal to a neighbor, um, that um, that we can show kindness to to people uh, because we're not in such a, a big hurried mess and um, a um, trying to manage a hurried and harried heart. Uh, so, yeah, uh, my my hope is that we could have a revival of of boredom, if that's the that's a good phrase. That's good. That's good. All right. When we come back, um, we're going to have Daryl reflect on the question, are we experiencing a cultural drift away from God, or is there now an intentional drive sprinting away from God in the culture in which we find ourselves? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Daryl Crouch, and we'll be right back. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, This is a community of believers, and we gather together here and We all need prayer, and, well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website 
at MyFaithRadio.com and then be assured of our prayers for you in the spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with Pastor Daryl Crouch, you can find him at everyoneswilson.org. You can also find what he's writing on his Substack at darylcrouch.substack.com. That's where I found this. Who is responsible for the cultural sprint away from God? So, uh, Daryl, it's not just, um, you know, it's not a drift on a, on a lazy river um, anymore. It does feel like there's an intentional sprint in the direction of immorality. So can you talk with us about this? Yeah, there, there's uh, really no question that we have, the pace has uh, picked up and uh, we, we, we've we understood that we're not on, as a friend of mine said yesterday, we're, we Christians don't have the home field advantage anymore, uh, particularly here in the South where I, I live and uh, uh, Christianity has been uh, kind of an assumed um, a disposition for for most folks up until maybe 20 years ago and and we we began to see a drift um maybe before that but certainly in our lifetime we've seen the drift but the last five or six years certainly uh and maybe five or six months um just a, a market marked sprint away from god away from biblical values away from what we would understand as as uh, assumed categories for Good behavior. Um, the um, it's a it, it, it. There's a radicalization of of evil and uh, sinfulness and foolishness in the public square that um, that we've never seen, and that our children are going to have to learn to navigate in ways that we really weren't confronted with as adolescents and young adults. And so, um, there, there's really really no question of. Of, of that. We've seen it at the White House lawn last week with the celebration of the transgender movement. Uh, we've seen a local Christian university here in our area um, uh, take uh, steps pretty radically away from biblical uh, values here in the last just 24 hours. And so um, we, we see that happening. And it's really new categories of, I call it new categories of immorality. We we used to know uh, and be pretty comfortable with the word man and woman or uh, husband and wife or parent and child. The, those those categories or those um, identifiers are now um, incredibly ambiguous, uh, at least in the public square. Um, and so my, my contention is that um, we, we certainly have roles to play in the public square and policy is important and everybody has to find their voice. You have a certain lane that you run in. I have lanes that I run in. And so we, we need to find those. But at the end of the day, um, we w- the church really has to take responsibility uh, for where we are. And that's my contention in that um, rather than... Um, Making declarations, while are important, uh, our emphasis must uh, return to making disciples. And um, if we think that wagging our finger at the culture is going to work, uh, we should look at our track record on that and and see how the how that's how that's uh, come out. And so, uh, while it's easy to get on social media and make declarations, and sometimes that's very important. Uh, for the lanes that we run in and the responsibilities that we have 
in 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 our particular sphere of influence. Uh, I'm not against making declarations, but um, the work of the church is to make disciples, and um, I think um, we we have to take some responsibility. And we, you know, I make the the point uh, in my article. You know, we've had a 200 year like we have had home field advantage, and 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 mm-hmm. even in the last 20 years, we've we have incredible resources. We're the wealthiest people ever to be on the planet. And we have so many resources at our disposal. Um, and so we don't find, we don't find Christians in the new Testament wagging their finger at the culture. You, you don't find a, a lot of, you know, churches yelling at their neighbors uh, in the new Testament. Uh, you, you find, you know, uh, Jesus challenging the church uh, in the in the in Revelation, you you find Paul challenging the church to get their act together and uh, be um, salt and light. And so, I just think we have to take some responsibility for where we are, and then uh, have again a, a revival of of disciple making that um, helps kids and the next generation um, return to the Lord. But it, it is certainly a um, a different day, but I think the urgency of it uh, should call us to not keep beating the same, you know, like we've, what got us, you know, anyway, you, you keep doing the same things over, you're, you're not going to get different results. And so I think we have to decide uh, who we are and what we're about and get back to making disciples who live for the kingdom of Jesus. Um, if you haven't read it already, um, you're going to love the, um, the Christofferson novel, uh, once you've once you see so he's uh, he's um he has written a novel that really talks about um the challenges that we face in the western church but because he's written it literally in a novel form um you know the story draws you in in a way that um that a more hey here's the problems with the church wouldn't draw you in and um right. and then the solution is uh, will will not surprise you as an everyone's Wilson guy. The solution will not surprise you, um, mm-hmm. but you will love it. So um, I commend awesome. that to your summer reading. I've written that down. That's awesome. Yeah. Once you see. All right. Um, hey, happy birthday to your dad and happy Father's Day to you. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us. Hey, thanks so much. Y'all are awesome. Yeah. Have a great week. You too. You too. That's Daryl Crouch. You can find him at everyonewilson.com. O-R-G. Um, we've been looking today at a couple of things on his Substack, which you can find at darylcrouch.substack.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's go upwards with Max Lucado. Well, good morning again. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. If you're just tuning in, hello, hello, hello. Um, when we consider what's happening in the world today, and when we um, think about what the Bible has to say about things that are happening in our lives and in our culture, like, how are you going about that process? How are you studying the Word of God, allowing the Word of God to um, take root in your life? How are you answering the world's questions um, with the Word of God? I think about the ways in which Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness and the way Jesus answers those questions. And it's not that he's just, that Jesus is just proof texting, like, you know, whipping out a Bible verse, although that is what he does. But um, he is inviting the enemy 
to consider who God is and what God has said and what that means for the conversation of the day. So yeah, I might be hungry, but I'm not going to be led into temptation to do something that's contrary to the will or the ways of God in order to satisfy my physical hunger. Um, Man does not live by bread by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that doesn't mean we don't feed hungry people. We do feed hungry people. Um, but we also recognize that um, there's a of critical importance are the things of God and the reality that many people do not see, the unseen realm, the the reality of the eternal pressing in constantly on the everyday and helping people make those connections and reconnections. So encourage you to do that today. Our friend Mark Terman from the Denison Forum is going to join us. We're going to um we're going to look at some um some things like what does the Bible say about transhumanism? You may say to yourself, I don't even know what transhumanism is. Well, we're going to read you in on that. You've heard of um of transgenderism. Have you heard of transhumanism? Do you know that there's actually an effort afoot and there are some people who consider themselves to be Christians? who are a part of the transhumanist movement. Well, what does the Bible have to say about that? Um, And then um, is social conservatism rising or waning in the culture today? You might be surprised by the answer. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Mark Sherman is joining us now. He's the executive director of the Denison Forum. You can find what we're talking about today at denisonforum.org. Mark, what what kind of heat is uh, 115? The heat index where you live is 115. What what in the world is going on? Well, this is we wanted to experiment with what it's like to live inside of a water balloon, and that's really <laughs> what this is. High heat, high humidity. It's like being inside of a perpetual greenhouse and uh we're just having fun down here, just trying to figure out how to stay in the air conditioning. Wow. I mean, I guess, you know, I'm thankful for air conditioning and I'm um, certainly, you know, we, we all have concern for people who um, have to be out for one reason yes. or another. Um, and so want to, you know, continue to to lift up those concerns as well. But thanks for joining us. Um, you have posted at denisonforum.org uh, uh, a podcast um, with apologist Abdu Murray, who's one of my favorite people. And the conversation includes, um, you know, like what what you can learn um, from a a person who is not white, who is a Christian. And so more than a white man's religion is the title of this piece. And I would just love for you to share with us, like, what did you learn in your conversation with Abdu Murray? Well, first of all, I learned that Abdu Murray is just a wonderful human being and a mm. really joyful, uh, passionate follower of Christ, who is uh, very articulate, uh, trained as an attorney, uh, and went to the University of Michigan, has a very interesting testimony about his own journey to faith from Islam, and how he uh, pursued that discovery over uh, almost a 10-year period uh, to really embrace the claims of Christianity in contrast to Islam. And so that was the first part that I learned from him. Uh, And then I also uh, just really came to appreciate the global nature of Christianity and how 
Christianity is so much more. It is a, a, a faith, obviously, for the white man and the white person, but it is something so much beyond that. And it, it really was a presentation by Abdu of a conversation about biblical equality rather than the twisted up ways that our secular society sometimes thinks about equality. Um, and when when you think about the presentation of the gospel in the midst of a culture that is now as as racially diverse as our own, I feel like voices like um, like Abdu are they're they're critical. They're so helpful. Um, he is so winsome. He has such a powerful personal testimony. Like, how do you think, Mark? I mean, you know, having him on your podcast is one example of sort of like how we lift up the voices of those that we think need to be heard. But I'm wondering if, in terms of everyday conversations or um, or folks who are you know ordinary everyday Christians, like, are there ways that you would encourage us to be lifting up the voices of people who are different than ourselves? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, one of the things I love Dr. Dennison pointing out earlier this week on the celebration of Juneteenth, Juneteenth being the day when uh, the last slaves in Texas heard the news that was two years in coming to them that uh, Abraham Lincoln had emancipated them. And as Dr. Dennison wrote about that, he explained in beautiful ways, I thought, on Monday, how we have made progress, that we now have more than 80% of both black and white Americans who say that they have friends who are of a different color, you know, white friends, the white people have black friends, black people have white friends. And, and we've, it didn't used to be that way. And what I loved about the article was, is how well it framed the fact that we've made some significant progress, but that we still obviously have some significant way to go, that there's still real issues of division among uh, different ethnicities, and that there are uh, clear evidences of inequalities and of systemic racism in various ways that we must continue to uh, attack and and improve upon. Um, but we have to have uh, what I would call a chorus of voices from every ethnicity, black, brown, white, Asian. Well, all, we have to have all of the voices in this conversation and those voices that are grounded in biblical truth, grounded in a biblical worldview, and speaking as the Bible speaks about the value of every person, regardless of uh, who they are, where they come from, or what their skin color is, if we can have those kinds of voices like Abdu and like Chris Brooks and like many others that we can name, um, that that will help the conversation to become more biblical as well as more peaceful. At least that's my hope. Mm. That's so good. That's so good. Um, there's a piece at uh, at Denison Forum on transhumanism. Um, Mark Legg has posted it. What does the Bible say about transhumanism? There may be people listening right now who aren't even familiar with transhumanism or the transhumanist movement or that there are Christians who are a part of the transhumanist movement. So can you read us in on this? Yeah, transhumanism is a big, big, uh, uh, complex and in some ways scary topic. It's been something we've seen played out in the movies, particularly uh, with the use of technology. But it really comes to us with the idea of the word trans, meaning uh, beyond 
this idea that human beings can uh, augment their capacity to the place where uh, they start to move to a point uh, in some of this thinking where we're beyond human, where we become superhuman, where we become something other than human through the combination of human potential and technology. Um, and so when we have seen the recent advent of things like AI, uh, Mark notes that there was a, a sermon preached in a Lutheran church not long ago, and it was a sermon prepared and preached by an AI app. And so that starts to boggle our minds, and many like uh, Bill Gates and others, uh, Elon Musk, are very much in the news these days talking about the reality of AI and other technological advances that have led some to this idea that we're going to be able to combine what we already know about being human beings with technology, with genetics, medicine, that type of thing, and become something beyond or more uh, than what human beings are in our most fundamental understanding. Um, there's a lot that we don't know, and there's a lot of problems with it. Uh, and there's certainly enormous amounts of danger, as we've seen over a long span of time, that human beings don't usually approach new technology well. We tend to run to things just simply because we can do them rather than stopping to think whether we should do them. I think that um, pausing and thinking about what it means to be human and to consider that conversation as essential today, uh, it leads us um, to be more well-equipped to talk with folks who are confused about what it means to be human and maybe are seeking to live in ways that are um, divorced from the way God created us to live. I do think that the transhumanist conversation and the transgender conversation are connected at that point. It, there is this confusion about who we are, that we are created beings, that we are created um, by God as image bearers, and that while we are in need of being transformed by the renewing of our minds, we're not going to be transformers. We're not going to be these integrated um, humanoid-ish, uh, according to our own um, ideas about how we might be physically reformed or changed. Like, do, do you see where I'm going? I think there's a connection here. The conversation about what it means to be human is connected to the conversations in the culture, both about transgenderism and transhumanism. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I had a conversation like this with Chris Brooks up in Detroit, and as he was pointing out, uh, the key questions that are really being asked right now are questions of identity. They are anthropological questions. What is, it, what is a human being? What does it mean to be a human being? And related questions like, how did we get here? Why are we here? And where are we going? Those are all fundamental questions that every human being really does ask in one way or another, uh, and they are all identity-based questions. And when we start looking outside of, of Christian faith, when we start looking uh, away from the Bible, and we start trying to answer those questions, we're, what we're left with is a very uh, anxious pursuit of the creation of an identity 
all on our own terms, rather than looking to God, looking to his word, and looking into the person of Christ for the answer of who are we, and why are we here, and what were we created for? And what we see is is, is that in the transhumanism conversation, we're really seeing a, another version of the story of the Tower of Babel, where the people came together in the early pages of Scripture, and they said, we're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to create, claim, our and, and define our own sense of identity, and we're going to do that apart from anything uh, divine, anything in the nature of God. We're going to make this up on our own terms. And that's really what some of the strange uh, twists and thinking around some of the conversation with transhumanism and transgenderism. Transgenderism being, well, I don't know what I am, but I can tr- I can switch, I can pursue it, I can make up anything that I want to be, including changing my gender or maybe just becoming completely non-gendered. Um, but it's the idea that I can define my identity for myself apart from God. Which is clearly what, um, you know, people who consider themselves autonomous, um, you know, that, that is absolutely the, um, the basis of expressive individualism, um, that I can make of myself something apart from God. Um, yeah, it's a really helpful conversation. Thank you for the way that you are um, leading us into having it more fully. Let's take a break. And then when we come back, let's talk about social conservatism, um, which you have to get all the syllables into. Uh, it, it's on the rise. I actually think that's going to surprise people a little bit. So let's talk about that next. Um, our guest is Mark Terman. He's the executive director of the Denison Forum. You can find what we're talking about at denisonforum.org. When Jesus teaches us to pray that God would forgive us as we forgive others, what does he mean? What does our forgiveness look like? And how ready are we to forgive? Or how fast are we to forgive? How many times do we forgive the same person for the same offense against us? Living out the life of forgiveness can only be done if we stand as forgiven people before the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus. In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. As far as the East is from the West, so far has God removed your transgressions from you. That's grace. That's great. And God intends that we would extend to others a measure of what we have received. So how has God forgiven you? How often? How many times for the same offense? Then who are you to hold someone else's sin against them when God in Christ doesn't hold our sins against us? Unforgiven and unforgiveness are literally no way to live. So join the forgiveness flow today. Ask God to forgive you and forgive others as you have been forgiven by grace. Praying together at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with Mark Terman. He's the executive director at the Denison Forum. Um, When we talk, Mark, about social conservatism, what are we talking about? And then give us a sense of the trend line here in the United States of America. Yeah, when we're talking about social conservatism, we're talking about how a large number of people within our country, uh, how they view things like medical ethics, how they view things like uh, transgenderism or other parts of the LGBTQ agenda, 
uh, how they view things like we were talking about a minute ago, equality, racism, uh, gender, sexism. How do they view those big, broad topics that we are often seeing discussed on a daily basis within our country? And uh, a somewhat encouraging survey run by Gallup recently uh, indicates that Americans are now moving in their uh, in their broad views to a more conservative position on many of these things. Abortion would be another one, um, those kinds of things, that Americans have moved more toward a conservative position. 38% uh, are uh, indicating that they have conservative opinions and views compared to 29% for liberal, uh, 31% for moderate. Uh, but the interesting thing, according to Gallup's survey, is that the last time that this move toward this kind of social conservatism uh, was this high was in uh, 2012. So over 10 years, uh, we're seeing people move broadly into a more conservative position. And uh, the reasons why are also uh, something very much uh, in, in debate and in discussion. Uh, some of it, I think, Carmen, is just simply based on fear. There seems to be uh, at least around the transgender conversation and some of the gender-affirming uh, strategies that we're seeing in the medical community around the world, particularly in Europe, that there are people saying, you know what, we're just going too far. Uh, mm -hmm. we're, we're taking small children, we're giving them life-altering hormones or life-altering surgeries, and we're messing with the basic uh, fundamental identity of who they were born to be as either male or female. And there just seems to be a, a, a significant number of people, like I said, often perhaps motivated by fear saying, you know what, we're just going too far, especially with what we're allowing towards children. I feel confident because uh, she's in your region that you know Katie McCoy. Yes, just had a conversation right, so with her. Yep, We just talked to her yesterday and um and i felt like I, well first of all i was just i'm just so encouraged that there's you know a next generation out there of they're so much smarter than i am and they're <laughs> so articulate and they are able to um speak to and into the conversations of the day in ways that are so winsome and so powerful um and and in that conversation with her you know i mean i'm thinking the same things that i'm thinking right now which is that if you just pause long enough to really consider the um, the outcomes, like this is where this leads. And if you if you talk about um, uh, puberty blockers and you talk about sex uh, altering hormones and you talk about then surgeries and then you and then you look forward and then you say, okay, what, what are the outcomes related to this in terms of the health and the welfare and human flourishing and society and childbearing and on and on and on? And, and you say to yourself, this does not lead to a good place for a society. Like, let's, have, let's pause long enough to have a reasonable conversation about long-term consequences. And so when you, say, when you say fear, I think I would say wisdom. I'm not sure that's that we are afraid so much as we are pausing long enough to consider what is the wise course and what is the foolish course? Well, I hope so. I, I hope that that's our better motivation uh, because what we're seeing in some of the 
the the freedom run amok is why I would call it running to mm. do something simply because somebody thought that it was a good idea and they didn't really want to sit down and think of where it would lead to. Um, the the what I hope is is that we're seeing people come back and say, you know what, we we have to realize that freedom for freedom's sake is a dangerous thing, and that um, again, this idea that if even if if technology and medicine enables us to do a certain thing doesn't mean that we should do it and that we need to think very clearly and then that really brings in the question of okay well if we're going to pursue wisdom and we're going to actually step back and try to consider where this might go then what becomes the framework for that discussion what becomes the pillars of of uh, moral uh, understanding and insight that need to guide that conversation to determine whether we should use a capability in a certain way, whether we should uh, allow that to happen, you know, within a, a society or a culture. And Carmen, we've been here before. Uh, we've been here before in the days of the German Nazi movement uh, and their pursuit of a quote unquote perfect class. Um, with eugenics and other things, it's the it's like Solomon said. There's nothing new under the sun. Um, this is just today's version. But what's what's very uh, concerning about that is is that we have technological capabilities that they didn't have back in the 30s and the 40s, and we have to take that into account as well while we're considering what uh, course we might take, especially when it comes to our children, because. Uh, things like transgenderism is not producing any kind of peace or contentment within the individuals who have pursued things like gender-affirming therapy with hormones or with surgery. Yeah, and then it gets back to that conversation about human flourishing, and I think that's a, a helpful one um, to have because we can talk about mental health and we can talk about physical health and we can talk about what it means to thrive um, and those are helpful conversations uh, that are not punitive. And so we have to learn to have those. Mark, as always, thank you so much um, for the conversation today. Blessings upon you. Um, you know, stay cool, my friend. I will do it. Thank God for mm -hmm. air conditioning. <laughs> Amen. Amen. That's Mark Terman. You can find him at the Denison Forum, denisonforum.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Uh, you have thought that you were outside the Domino's pizza delivery zone, but guess what? Apparently, it no longer even requires an address. Domino's is now offering pinpoint delivery. Ideal quote for the start of summer because you might be at the beach or in a park or hiking along a ridge. So you drop a pin on a map and then you track your, um, your order. I don't know. Does anybody out there in, you know, like a hundred miles from town, does, does anybody out there think this is this is just probably not going to work? I, I don't think that they've thought about how far we live from them in many, many cases. I don't think my pizza is going to arrive hot. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, there you go. Because uh, sometimes there's like news you can use um, that I just feel like I need to squeeze in at the end of an hour. We got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now.
And thanks.